Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. What do you think of that song? That's a good song, thank you. Why does it matter? And this isn't part of my sermon, I'll just throw it out for free. <laughs> Pastor Steve and Sister Sharon and the Cook family and the Neal family are sitting at a funeral home today. And that woman, who is Virginia Cook, is a Christian. And when she departed from this body, she went home to be with the Lord. Because she could say, all I have is Christ. The question is, I can go through life pretending like it doesn't matter what my relationship is with God, but what happens when I stand before him? And so if you're here today, and you know Jesus is your Savior, we have hope. And you're here today and you don't, might be time to rethink things. And I am especially thankful because, you know, the old song says we read the back of the book and we win. When I get to the back of the book, it says there is a time coming when there's no more, no more death, no more tears, no more sorrow. All that stuff is gone because he that sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. That's our hope. Now we can get on with the message. <laughs> oh, by the way, y'all are ministers today. Pastor Steve, as Daryl has said, very seldom has a chance to be ministered to. When you go to the funeral home, give Sharon a big hug, give Steve a big hug, and tell him you love him. So, there we are. Let's have a word of prayer, please, and we'll get going. Father, we just pray you would just take this time, take your word, Father, make it alive. Father, we want to be touched. We want to feel your presence. We want, to, we want, to, we want Jesus to just kind of step into the room and to see him and to see his face and to know, to know that we've been in your presence. Father, your word, it's, it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharp. Father, help us to learn, help us to follow. More than anything, help us to love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have your Bibles, we're over in Matthew chapter 26. I heard a story one time about a fella coming to church one day. He very seldom came to church. Preacher was standing by the door, you know, the way the preachers do. He grabbed the fella by the hand, he pulls him off to the side. He says, brother, you need to join the army of the Lord. The man says, preacher, I already am in the army of the Lord. He says, then how come I only see you at Christmas and Easter? And he said, because I'm in the secret service. <laughs> right? So... Matthew chapter 26, we're hours away from the garden, we're hours away from the cross. This is the final moments leading up to the cross. And the most amazing thing happens. In the first verses of Matthew chapter 26, a woman named Mary does an act of love just for Jesus, just because she can. Do you know how seldom that happened in the Gospels? As we approach the horrors of Golgotha, there is a story here that's going to say something to us. In this room that they're about to enter in Bethany, we're going to see a cast of characters. And as we see these different characters, they're all interacting, and we get to ask this question, who is Jesus to them? And perhaps I can even see myself in them. Maybe you will too. We also ask the question, who is Jesus to me? What's he worth to me? What value do I give to Jesus and to that relationship? 
We may even see some of the Secret Service crowd in this story. So let's read a little bit. Matthew chapter 26, as Mike and Linda were just reading. Thanks, thanks, Linda. Thank you, Michael. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to the disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among people. This story opens, this chapter opens, and we, have, we get to eavesdrop a little bit on the first group who were part of this story, and this is a backdrop to pretty much all the events that are going to follow in the next few days, and we get to see these religious leaders. And if I were going to put a title to how they address Jesus, it is anger. Anger. I'll bet you up on the wall, I had a slide. Now, y'all know I did one, and it said on there, anger. In verse 4, they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. You can't mistake that word treacherous. It's a word that's used as a decoy to deal in deceit. So what is Jesus to them? He is a stumbling block to their agenda. They've got their own way of looking at life. They've got their own way of doing things, and Jesus is in the way. And they're angry about it. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I want to give you a warning and a hope. The warning is this. Sometimes we feel kind of angry at God. There are seasons of life, and if you're honest with yourself, sometimes you just get a little bit frustrated. We get a little angry. Don't live there. It's a bad place to stay. But there are other people, and you'll run into them all the time. I have a friend at work. One of my co-workers, he grew up in a Baptist church. I don't know, I don't think Daryl was his pastor, though. <laughs> but he grew up in a youth group at church, and he will tell you to this day that he hates Christians. He hates all of us. He don't just hate me, he hates you. <laughs> he hates every one of us. Uh, he knows all about us. We're all hypocrites, we're all bad. Every bad thing that's ever happened in the history of the world is because some Christian was involved, and we somehow were responsible for it. Ask the man, he'll tell you. This man knows the gospel. He can quote it as well as I can. He doesn't care. And not only does he not care, but he's mad about it. What do you do with a guy like that? What do you do with him? What do you do with these religious leaders who are angry at Jesus? What do I do when I'm in a society that sometimes feels like our values are under attack and they're calling wrong right and right wrong and next thing you know we get all worried about it because all kinds of things are going on around us and it makes us kind of scared. They seem angry at us for being Christians. What do I do with these people? Here's my hope. I'll tell you what God does. Just just as an aside, in Psalm chapter 2, it says the kings of the earth took, took counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's cast their bands from us. In other words, let's get rid of God. We're going to show God that we're the boss. And it says, he that sits in the heavens starts laughing. He holds them in derision. God starts making fun of them. God literally sees people who are angry at him, who are throwing little hissy fits, who are like a three-year-old. You know that three-year-old every once in a while decides, you're not my parent, you're not gonna tell me what to do. I'm gonna hold my breath until you stop trying to tell me what to do. And next thing you know, that little three-year-old's going, 
Exactly. What do you do as a parent? You just start laughing. Now, if it's me, I'm mocking the kid. Come on, kid, you can do better than that. Hold your breath. Come on, a little longer. You can do it. That is exactly what God is doing. He sees these people playing the fool, and he just starts laughing. Now, let me ask you something. What is it you and I have to worry about if God thinks it's funny? Seriously, that's my hope. God is not out of control in this situation. These religious leaders could do all the plotting in the world, and what they ended up doing was God's will. And that's all they did. Right up to the point that Jesus could look right in the eyes of Pilate and say, you have no power at all over me except what God gives you. And if I wanted to, I could ask God. I could ask my father, and he'd send legions of angels, and he'd do what I wanted to do. So, <laughs> that's a good word. In fact, I'll even end this with a little story that tells you this. In the Bible, over in Daniel, there was a king named Nebuchadnezzar who thought he was all that. You know what God did to him? He had him act like a little animal, and for seven years, he ran around outside on his hands and knees eating grass. Until one day, he said, you know what? I just remembered there is a God in heaven, and God quit laughing and said, okay, come on. You can stand up again. That is the extent that God is worried about the angry people. Don't sweat them. God's still in control. The second group we're going to run into, though, is in the house in Bethany. Linda was reading this in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 6, and when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the tables. Simon the leper, he's our second character in this story. And if I were going to put a word to describe Simon, you know what that word would be? Arrogance. Arrogance. I don't like Simon. We wouldn't get along. Luke chapter 7 is a longer version of this story. And I'm going to read a little bit of it because it's instructive when we read about Simon. And this is what it said. In Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 37, it says, And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. And she wiped his feet with the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this was that's touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, well, say it. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other over 50. And since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. Which one do you think will love him more? And Simon says, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said, you judged correctly. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing me. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she anointed my feet with fragrant oil. 
And I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, and that's why she loves me much. But the one who was forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Ladies and gentlemen, the one group that will be in every single building where a group of people gather is an arrogant group of self-righteous people who just need smacked in the head. Thank you very much. I know, that's not very preachy. But seriously, Simon is a Pharisee who thought he was better than everyone else. He thought he was closer to God. He thought he knew more about God. And I could almost picture him like Jesus had saw in the temple earlier when he tried to teach his disciples something. Remember those two guys who entered the temple? One was a, one was a, a man who was a penitent. And the Bible says he entered the temple and he came before God and he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He just kept beating his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And meanwhile, right beside him is some Pharisee who was looking up at heaven going, God, you're lucky to have me. And thank you, I'm not like him. Every once in a while, Christians have forgotten what old Moody used to say, that we're beggars telling other beggars where to find some bread, and that's all we are. Every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us need God's mercy. Every single one of us are saved by the grace of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every one of us are kept by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And of ourselves, we are lost. And every once in a while, a person walks into church who needs a hospital, who needs a place of healing, who needs to find grace. And ladies and gentlemen, when they walk through the door, we thank God they're here and we bring them to the throne. But the person who throws stones at them, you got problems. Don't do it. This was Simon. He says, God, you're lucky to have me. And I'm glad I'm not like her. Mary knew she was a sinner. And she knew Jesus was a Savior. And that's all she needed to know. Simon offered nothing to Jesus. So what was Jesus worth to Simon? He was a platform for Simon to exalt himself. That's who Jesus was to him. The arrogant person who is throwing stones at the center, they just see God as a means to exalt their own selves. Arrogance is a terrible thing. The third group were the disciples. Verse 8 of chapter 26 says, And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, oh, Why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said, why do you trouble this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with me, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment for my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The third group was the disciples, and they were annoyed. And by the way, I can put myself right in their shoes. This one I get. Verse 8, they represent, by the way, ministry without Jesus. And this is a tricky thing. Mary shows up with an alabaster box filled with expensive perfume. This is a kingly gift. A guy named Pliny, 
one of the old historians was telling a story once of how that same gift, a gift of an alabaster box filled with perfume was given to the king of Ethiopia um, when some ambassador showed up before his throne. It's that pricey of a gift. It's that type of a gift. The Gospels tell us that this perfume in this box was worth about 300 denarii. A denarii is about a day's pay. That's 300 days of your life. That's 10 months of your pay that she just dumped out on Jesus. Putting that in some terms, if you make about 50,000 a year, what? That was at about 42,000 or so that just got poured out on the ground. How you feel about that? I know this, my stomach would have gone real tight. I'd go, oh. <laughs> it would have, I'd have been right there with the disciples. The disciples stood there open mouthed and said, you gotta be kidding me. We could have done a world of good with that money. Think of all the stuff we could have done with that money that's, that's practical. All she did was pour it out. And that begs that question. So what is Jesus worth? Is he worth 10 months of your paycheck? I don't know. This church almost faced a similar question, I suppose. Y'all bought a beacon for a million dollars? You bought the old Canterbury, fixed her up. That's a tough thing to do. And Daryl, I would have voted no. Just so you know, I know my heart, and I know that in my heart of hearts, the first thing I would have said was, you could find better things to do with a million dollars, man. And I've probably been wrong. Because I wouldn't see the ministry down the road. I tell you, I can put myself in the disciples' shoes in this case. Ministry is good, but ministry has no value until it is wrapped up in God's will and in the love of Jesus. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13, that big love chapter we're all familiar with. And it's sandwiched between 12 and 14, chapters 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians, which were all about spiritual gifts. And right in the middle of talking about all the things that we do for God, he says, but they're meaningless unless we bring a heart of love into them. A love for each other and a love for God. They don't have value. I'm reminded of that great teaching of Jesus when he said, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, look what all I did. Woo! I got to minister in your name. I cast out demons. I prophesied. And Jesus looked at that group of people and said, depart from me. I don't know you. I don't know you at all. And there's other folks standing around, and he says, enter into the joy of your Lord. And they said, why? And he said, because I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, and I was naked, and you clothed me. And they said, I think you made a mistake. That wasn't me. And he said, nah, as much as you've done it for the least of these, your brothers, you did it for me. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be a reckoning for those of us who struggle with this annoyed attitude. (laughs) And we're going to have to answer for God when he says, what was I worth to you? Why would you judge another person who gave all that they had to me? Could you not see me the same way?
And every once in a while, that thought frightens me. I'm telling you, you can put yourself every now and again right into these shoes. Interest of time, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. We're going to go to our fourth group, and the fourth group in this story is Judas, the fourth person. Because the next verse in chapter 26 gets us down to 14, and then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. And my word for him is apostate, and it is a good word. He knew Jesus and he sold him out. He's not angry. He loved himself. Period. The man had a lot of love for himself and he had no love for God and that was enough for him. He knew all about Jesus. He walked around with him for three years. But in the end, Jesus was worth 30 pieces of silver to Judas. That's what he was worth. And here's the problem. He was personally invited to have a relationship with Jesus and he chose not to. And there are any number of people, and this is the old preacher line that says, will go to hell over 18 inches because they know all about Jesus in their head and they don't know anything about him in their heart. You can know all you want to know about Jesus, but until he is in your heart as your Lord and as your Savior, you are lost and you are in your sin. In this case, there was a man named Judas who came to church who knew all about God, who knew all about Jesus, and he walked out the door and did his own thing because he did what Judas wanted to do, and that is apostasy. When I see Christians going along with societal values in defiance of God's word, I, and we'll hear people say, what's wrong with them? They're apostates. They see exactly what God said, and they made a mental decision to go a different direction, to say no. And I'll tell you about those people because there's what the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they are abominable. By the time you're in Romans 1, you know what the Bible says? There are folks who know God and decided they would not worship him. Declaring themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they elevated themselves, and God gave them over to do all kinds of ridiculous stuff that they said was okay. And it all started with knowing God and saying, I reject God's word. That's apostasy. I can see it in the Old Testament in two kings, if you recall. So we walk back and we see old King Saul and we see King David. You know the difference on those two guys? Both of them sinned. King Saul sinned and a guy named Samuel came up to him and said, God wants to know what you're doing, man. And Saul said, I just disobeyed God in order to worship him. <laughs> Figure that one out if you can. And Samuel's lesson to him was to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Quit saying that somehow that disobeying God makes you right. It doesn't. The other guy was David who sinned, and God sent a prophet to him whose name was Nathan and said, you're the man, you did it. And David said, you're right, I have sinned. And that was the only difference in those two men. One said, I do what I want, and the other said, I'm sorry. All of us are going to sin. 
Sending is not apostasy. Apostasy is when I sin, I know it, and I say too bad. And that gets me to the hero of our story. How do you say that word? Heroin? 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 <laughs> H-E-R-O-I-N-E. Somebody pronounce that. Thank you. <laughs> See there? I knew somebody could do English. This is Our Lady Mary. And my word for her is adoring. She loved Jesus. There's an old Daily Bread story. It, it, it talked about a guy. He says he took his two kids, Helen, who was eight years old, and Brandon, who was five years old, over to Sears at a mall. And when he got there, there actually was a petting zoo. And it cost a, he thought it cost a quarter to get in, and he figured, good. I'm going to go buy my bandsaw, and I'm going to give these two kids a quarter each. They can go over and pet the animals, and we'll all be happy. So he throws them both a quarter. He goes into the store, and pretty soon his daughter came in. And he said, well, I guess she don't like animals. And then he realized, no, she's unhappy. <laughs> and he looked at her, and he's going, what's wrong, Helen? And she said, it cost 50 cents to give in. So I gave my quarter to my brother. He said, oh, <laughs> I like that. Thank you. Good response. His answer, his statement to that is, that's love in action. The cross is just ahead of Jesus. The Garden of Gethsemane is right in front of him. Everyone has their own agenda, except Mary. And who is she? And you know, I don't even know which Mary she is. There's some who'll say she was Lazarus' sister. Some will say she's Mary Magdalene. I know this, she had issues. The Bible says she was a sinner just like us. And I know this, she loved Jesus. So she walked into Simon's house and she had to take his abuse. And she had to take the disciples questioning her motives and what she did. And she had to physically humble herself and she cried, and she kissed Jesus, and she poured this expensive oil out on his head as he reclines, and it runs all the way down to his feet, where she wipes his feet with her tears and dries them with her hair. Do I love Jesus that much? Would I do that in front of you? Probably not. That's a hard thing. She is one of those rare moments that come along of a person who came to Jesus wanting nothing, asking for nothing, demanding nothing. She came and worshiped. She came to say, I love you, and to give him all that she had. Jesus said in doing so, she anointed his body for burial, and he promised that she would be remembered forever, for generations to come. Luke's gospel tells us why she would do that, because she had been forgiven, and she knew it. She knew how much Jesus loved her.
So we conclude that with this question. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? And what's he worth? Why am I here today? I can leave here today angry. I can leave annoyed. I can leave apostate. Those folks exist. They may even be among us. I don't know. But why am I here? I hope you're here because one day you realized that you were a sinner, that all of us have sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible goes a little further. If I were in Romans and it says that if I will confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart God has raised him from the dead, I can be saved. For what the heart you believe and what the mouth confession is made to salvation. And for those of us here who are Christians, there was a day when we realized that we couldn't save ourselves. And God somehow did a work in our dead lives and he gave us the faith to say, I choose Jesus. I confess my sins. I ask Jesus to be my savior and I promise to walk with him. And when I promise to walk with Jesus, I promise to give him everything. Not something, not some of my time, not some of my stuff. I promise that everything I have is his and I will walk with him. Why do I come to church? Because here I get to sit under Pastor Steve, Pastor Darrell. <sighs> I even get Pastor Chris now. <laughs> and you know what I get to do? I get to hear God's word, and it's going to tell me just a little bit more of what I need to grow in Christ. And I'm going to sing some songs. And worship, by the way, is my doorway to heaven. When I hear songs of praise, I'm okay for a few minutes. And I'm going to get the praise, and it's going to be a good few minutes. But the main reason I need to be here is so that I can have a place where I'm safe, where I can say, Jesus, thank you. I love you, and I want to walk with you. Thank you for what you did for me. How can I, how can I walk with you better? If you're here today and you can say that, I want you to leave here today with a big smile on your face and be the happiest person alive. But if you're here and you have a question about it, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sing a song. We're going to have an opportunity to come and just pray. I'm not able to get things right with God. I don't know how. Come and talk to us. Well, I'd kind of like to, but I'm kind of angry at God. Come and tell him. I've been judgmental. Come and confess that. I just want to tell Jesus that I want to give him everything I have. Tell him. He'd love to hear it. So let's stand together, if you would, please. We're going to have a prayer, a song of invitation, and if there's something you want to come and pray about, we're going to leave the, just the door open, whatever it is, right where you are. Or if you want to come up and pray, there's some folks who'd be happy to put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you. Let's just leave here today saying, you know, all to Jesus I surrender. Let's have a word of prayer, please. Father, thank you because you've been good to us. Thank you because for some reason that I just can't even figure out when we were still dead in our sins, you died for us. 
And Father, even more specifically, what I can't figure out is why you would do this for me. And Father, you came into hell itself and died for our sins, was buried to pay the price for my sin. And then you rose again and said, come follow me. And Father, I want to follow you. I want to. I confess sometimes it's hard, but I don't do a good job of it, but I want to. Father, if there's somebody here who has a decision to make whose heart is just broken, Father, we just pray you would just bring them to your throne and wrap them in your arms. Give them your salvation. Give them your mercy. And Father, I hope today you're hearing a whole lot of I love this. It's our real prayer today. Father, thank you for all you've done in Jesus' name. So what are we singing?